All right, so we're in a new series called Bust a Move, and I think we spent all the time on the intro video last time. You know, in the I Am, I could actually go back there and get a cup of coffee and all that before I'd have to speak during that whole video. And this one had like five seconds, so I'm like trying to rush up here. But we're starting a new series called Bust a Move, and basically it is saying, okay, we are at point A. If you're at point A, how do we get to point B? Okay, and so point A that we're going to be talking about today is our connection with God. That's our first connection point here at Stone Point. And so point A would be that you feel disconnected or marginally connected to God. Now, point B would be that you're connected to God and you're fulfilling a purpose. And because we have all been created for a purpose, and so we need to know what that is, and we need to be connected to God to be able to fulfill that purpose. And so today, I don't know if you've ever felt disconnected from God or marginally connected. You may be there now, or you may be uh, connected to God like no other uh, that you've been in your entire life. But usually there's about three people in, in type of people in this room. One, you've never connected to God. So you've never experienced the joy and salvation of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ that decides that, that we are still worthy, even though we've turned our eyes from him, we've been lured away from him, or you've been connected to God before and you feel disconnected or marginally connected now. Or, again, you're connected like no other. And so there's, I don't know where you are in this pathway, but today we're just going to take a look and say, how do we move from point A to point B? And if you're at point B, then you need to be fulfilling the purpose of helping other people move from point A to point B. How many of y'all hung these things for Christmas? Yeah, so I'm not always the brightest when it comes to hanging lights, uh, probably in many areas of my life, right? But you, but when I was, when we were first married and I first hung lights, uh, I, I pulled the old, you know, put up all the lights first and then plug them in. That's a disaster because, you know, they've been in the attic forever wrapped up like that giant ball and you have to like untie it and then half of them don't work and then you have to get up there, take them down and check every bulb, right? So now I've, I've got the sense of plugging it in before and checking which, what's all, What's all connected there? But the problem is, if these aren't connected to a source, they're useless, right? So what do you do when you connect them and, they're, and they don't light up? You think, okay, is it this bulb? No. Is it this bulb? No. Is it this bulb? And, and the problem is, is sometimes when I'd hook up the lights, I'd forget to plug it in from strand to strand. And so it wasn't the fact that it was any of the bulbs. It was the fact that it wasn't plugged into the source, and so today we're going to take a look at connecting to God. And, and I don't know about you, but if you felt disconnected, then a lot of times we look at life like a strand of lights. We have our job. And maybe we don't shine there as much as we always used to. And we feel like we need a new job to find a new purpose in life. Or maybe it's your marriage and you just don't connect like you used to. And so it's, it's kind of gotten dull, it's kind of gotten dim, it flickers on and off, and you think, well, maybe, maybe I chose the wrong person. What do I need to do to rejuvenate? Maybe it's kids, and that takes up five or six or seven of the lights, and you think, well, this light's going strong, but this one's not so much. And maybe I need to learn a new, new type of parenting style so that I can, I can make this light look the same as this light. Or maybe it's, maybe it's your extracurricular activity. It's the thing you like doing, and you just don't find joy in them anymore. And you think, maybe I need to change something else to enjoy my time. 
Maybe it's homework, maybe it's you're in school, you went back to school, and all of these things start just looking chaotic. But the problem is, is we've disconnected from the source. Because if we're connected to the source, then, then we work how we should. If we are connected to the source, then we don't need a new job. We just need to connect to God through our job. If, if we're plugged up to the source, we don't need a new marriage. We just need to connect to God first so that we can forgive and love like he did our spouse. And then connect hopefully more together with God. If we're connected to the source, it's not our parenting style because God lays out how we should parent. And we need to extend forgiveness as we we show discipline and love. So what is it? What is it that you're juggling or that you think you need new of? Because maybe, maybe it's just that we've got disconnected from our source. So we're going to look at today just a man in the Bible of, of a, who was connected to God in a relationship like no other, and he got disconnected. And from that point, what does he do to get reconnected to God? So I don't know about you, but usually connection, disconnection from God, if, if I'm real honest with myself, brings a lot of chaos. Like I lack purpose when I'm not connected to the source. I, I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do in life? What am, how am I supposed to parent? And again, it's all of these things that I don't find clarity or purpose in. Or maybe I just feel isolated. I'm not connected to God, so I'm isolating myself over here. Away from people, away from my spouse, away from my kids. I'm just, I'm just trying to manage life. Maybe it's a fear of my faith, like lack of faith. I, I just my faith isn't there, so I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I take that step of faith. Or I fear maybe sin or, or evil or maybe unknown, like disconnection from God brings fear. Maybe your life is in disorder. Maybe it's chaotic. Maybe you don't, again, you don't find purpose here, 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 so you try to find purpose in everything, and it just, it's just chaotic. Maybe if we get disconnected from God, we find little peace or joy in anything. Maybe life gets too busy. Like if you've got kids, come around my house about 6 o'clock and, and you'll see a busy life, right? You got, you're jumping from this activity to this activity to this activity to the job to, to church to, to whatever, and life just seems busy. And you think, if I, if I stop doing this, then I'll find time over here. And the real thing is, is we need to find time here first so that we can find purpose and, and, and really rest in everything that we do. Or maybe you're struggling with a sin that, that is hidden or, or keeps, or, or you keep hidden from other people because you just think, well, if they would know this, they wouldn't really, really like me. And so with that said, if you've ever connected with God before, if you've ever connected uh, with a miracle, you've experienced this joy, you've experienced this peace, and you feel disconnected now, or, or maybe before in life, how do we get restored to that initial joy and peace? And so with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel Samuel chapter 11. Father, I I pray that you teach us today, God. God, just help us to stay connected. Because God, you're not the problem, we are. We are the ones that, that are lured and enticed into a different direction, Father. We are the ones that take our eyes off of you and place it on other idols, other things that we think will fulfill our purpose, God. 
God, I ask that you help us to stay connected to you like no other in 2017. Help us stay connected to you today more than we did yesterday and tomorrow more than what we did today. Father, give us life, breathe in us a new spirit. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to talk about a guy named David, a King David. He's known to be a man after God's own heart. And he started with, maybe you've heard a, a very pillar of faith moment in the Bible. And that's when he went to battle with Goliath. And God, he said, I'm not going to battle with any, any weapons or anything, but I'm going with God. And God delivers the Israelites from Goliath in this mighty miracle. And he's anointed Je- oh, Jesus, anointed uh, David as king. He's taken the time and said, you are the one I've chosen to lead all of Israel. And you see this relationship with with David and God just like no other king before. But then the interesting thing is is he's also known for one of the biggest mistakes in the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at today because he's connected to God like no other. And then he enters into this really point in his life where he, he might have, he, it looks like he lacked purpose, kind of isolated himself, and hasn't found any joy or peace where he is at the moment. And he's disconnected from God, and he allows stuff to come in, but God restores him later on. And so we start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 here, and it says, In the spring of the year, when time, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And I want you to see, in the springtime, it's great to go to battle. Like, you don't have to worry about the cold, dying of anything from weather. You don't have to worry about exhaustion during heat. You've got what water flowing everywhere. Everywhere. You may have fruit on, on trees. And this was a time that the kings were supposed to go out to battle. But we see that David lost his, his purpose. He was anointed as king by God. He needs to be fulfilling what God has done and said he should do. And he should be in battle. But he's chosen to stay in Jerusalem. He's lacked purpose. He's lost his focus as king. And so he's sitting here, and he sent off Joab, his servants, and all the rest of the fighting men of Israel, and they're in battle, and David's remaining at Jerusalem. Now, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, kind of laziness going on there, right? Afternoon, when David's just slouching around on the couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from a roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. He has isolated himself from people. And he's out here being slothful and going out on the roof, kind of just taking his time, and he sees a woman bathing. Now, at this point, a man after God's own heart should have turned around and went inside. But I want you to see, sin has not been committed yet. An action has not been done, and David has had a choice to make. And he could have gone back in at any point in time and gone and done what he was supposed to do as king. But he chose to stay. And then not only that, he sent somebody. He says, David sent and inquired about, inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And at this point, a mighty man of God, a man after God's own heart would say, oh, it's someone's wife. She's off limits. Because I know one of the Ten Commandments is not to commit adultery. But he continues on. Again, he hasn't allowed sin to creep into the door yet, but he's still playing around with this temptation. And he says, oh my goodness, this is the, his servant says, this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Uriah is off in battle. David knows this. He sent him. 
And so he goes and he, he sends for her, brings her back to his house, sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Now we've got a problem. He has committed a sin, and, and, and Bathsheba's got this consequence of this sin. And he's like, oh, great, I've got to cover this up. And so he, he, brings, he sends for Uriah. Uriah comes home. He says, why don't you go and just spend the night with your wife in there? You've done great in battle. Just take some time. He says, I can't do that. I've got brothers that are in battle right now. I'm going to sleep right here on the couch. Plan A didn't work. So what are we going to do? Move on to plan B. Let's get him drunk. And then he'll go and, and sleep with his wife. And, and, and he does. He gets him so drunk that he passes out and, he, and nothing happens. Oh, plan B, it didn't work. So plan C, let's write a note to Joab the army commander, and send it through Uriah and say, okay, stick Uriah at the, at the front lines of the battle and move everybody else back, and we'll see what happens. And lo and behold, he dies. He gets killed in battle. And what does David do? David comes back in 27. She has found out that Uriah is dead. And when the morning was over, David came in like the good king, and sent for her and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Bathsheba, your, your husband died, but I will gladly take you as my wife and play the Savior at this point. But what does it continue to say here? But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the first thing we've got to realize is that if we're disconnected from God, it displeases him. That if it's a sin that we're committing, that we're trying to hide, that it's a temptation, it displeases God. And we know this, yet we still do the same thing David did. We play around with temptations until it gives birth to sin. Let's, that, so let's jump to James. You all can stay where you are. I'll have James up on the, on the screen for you. But James, the brother of Jesus here, he writes, blessed is the man that remains steadfast under trial. David did not do this. The idea is that you're standing on a, a foundation that you know and that, you, that no matter what's coming at you, this storm, life, craziness, temptations, you're standing strong. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God had promised to those who loved him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But we're soon to blame God. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why, why is this temptation here? Why have you allowed this? God doesn't do it. But where does temptation start? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Temptation starts with our desires. Jeremiah puts it that the heart is deceitfully wicked. We can't understand it. Our heart is where desires start. And those desires lure us and entice us away from God. We are fixed. The idea is that we have a fixed point on God and something catches our eye over here and we turn away from God. We've been connected to God, going strong and something pulls us away, whether it's time, other idols in our life, sin, whatever it is, temptation pulls us away. And once then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The idea here is that you have a chance to turn back to God before you sin. Like if you think of natural birth, 
a child is conceived and nine months later is born. The idea is that the desire in our heart, we have the power, if we've been connected with God before, to turn from that sin. King David didn't do that. And if we're honest with each other, we don't do that either. There's always something that's, that's pulling us away from God. And when it's fully grown, brings forth death. We know this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve eat the apple. What comes into the picture? Death. We know this when Paul writes, for the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings forth death. But what does God do? In the midst of this, all this thing where it displeased the Lord, God does something. Realize he doesn't wait for David. God comes to David through prophet Nathan. He sends Nathan, chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He doesn't leave us in our sin with no hope. He pursues us. He continues to come after us. And he sends Nathan to David. And Nathan comes before David. He throws out this story. There's this rich man who has a lot of sheep. So much so, it's just all flow, they're just all over the place. And then there's a poor man, and he has one sheep, one that he loves and takes care of, raises as his own child. And this rich man, he has a friend come, a traveler come. Not really a friend, just a traveler. And the traveler says, I'm hungry, and he doesn't want to take one of his own, so he goes and takes the poor man's lamb, sacrifices it, cooks it, gives it to the traveler. And David has a response to that. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And I find it kind of ironic, we have not changed. We're really good at being angry at other people's sin, but we don't want to look at our own. We're really good at pointing out other people's faults, but we don't want to turn inside. Why? Because it's painful. It is painful to look inward. And so we find comfort in pointing out other people's problems. As long as people have eyes on everyone else, no one's looking at me. And so we point them out. My spouse, man, they, they're almost there. They've got a couple things that just wouldn't do it right. They're, I wouldn't do it the same way. Or the people at work, man, they just, they do things all wrong. My kids, don't even get me started about my kids but we very seldom turn inward and take ownership of our own problems. There's something in Regen called inventory, and everybody hates inventory. Everybody I talk to that goes through Regen hates inventory. And it's because it's looking inward. It's taking a look and saying, okay, what has my past, what have I done in my past, what have I'm doing now, what, am, what do I need to change about me? And it's not pleasant. And that's what, that's what David's, he is like enraged at this man who is, not real. Who's not real? He gets so angered at a story, but doesn't look at his own self. And what does Nathan do? Or I'm sorry, David continues on. He says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. I mean, that's, that's harsh. And he shall restore, not only die, but he should give back four times as much as he took because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, hey, you're this guy. You're the man. You're the person in the story. 
We are the person in the story. We are the one that has connected with God and we've gone off and done something that we should not do. And then he goes and he just lists. Thus the Lord says, God, the God of Israel, I anointed you as king. I've given you a purpose and I've delivered you out of the hand of Saul. There's so many times that you could have died that, that, that I saved you from. And it goes on and he just lists everything he's done for David. He said, if that wasn't enough, I would have given you so much more. And I want to put you in this picture because God has anointed you if you've connected with him with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I've given you everything you need. I've forgiven you of your sin. I've connected with you. The God of the universe has connected with you. And we've decided to go fulfill our purpose in something else. And he says that, I've given you so much and I give you so much more. For what you did, he goes on in verse 12, for you did it secretly. What you've done is done in secret and I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. And don't you know that you'd hate to be in this point in the story? David, what you did, you, you kept hidden and you did it well, but I'm gonna reveal it all. Can you imagine being David? Please, God, no. Like, you and I wouldn't want to be in this point right now. Like, you and I would not want to be, and one, one day, some of us will be there, right? Like, like we're going to be standing before Jesus, and he's going to lay out everything. We're going to just look down. Not focused on anybody around us, but focused on the fact that God said, be holy for I am holy, and yet we've done things that aren't holy. But the beautiful thing is if you've connected with God and you've accepted his salvation, all of that's covered. You've been forgiven. Why do we disconnect from that? Why do we disconnect from God who's given us everything? David, then you can see his heart here. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is where we most humans, right, would waver. Be like Adam. God, the woman you placed in my life, that's her fault. The kids you've blessed me with, they've driven me to this anger. They've made me punch Santa in the face, right? This job you've so given me that I thought you gave me, it's been completely different. I didn't expect it to be anything like this. Why have you done this, God? And really, we are to blame. We've disconnected from the source. And David here, he owns up. Dude, I've sinned against you, God. He doesn't try to put it off on Bathsheba. He doesn't try to put it off on Uriah. He doesn't have to explain it to Nathan. He doesn't send it to anyone. He owns his sin. That's where we need to start. We need to own that we are the problem, not God. And then Nathan says something that the Lord, that echoes throughout the entire gospel. The Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. For the free gift of God is eternal life. Echoed all throughout the gospel.
we got to glimpse a moment of David's life in that, in that story. But the beautiful thing is that God has blessed us with his thoughts and, and what else he did in Psalms 51. David turns around and after Nathan confronts him in this, the sin that he did, we get to see, I've sinned against you. But David goes and pens, writes down Psalm 51 in this. And so I want to take us to Psalm 51 because I think this is where we can truly grasp what we need to do if we disconnect from God. Or if you've never connected to God before. There's a point that there's some things that, that we should do that we can see from the man after God's own heart. And he starts off in Psalms 51 here, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He has experienced God's love and mercy before. How does he know God's love is steadfast? How does he know God's mercy is abundant? Because he's experienced it before. When we're disconnected from God, we need to focus on and remember the things God did for us before. And we just have to own up. First thing, we own up to the fact that we are the problem, that we failed God. And so the first thing is to just admit, God, I messed up. And I seek your mercy and love like you've given me before. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I picture the time when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he goes to Peter and Peter says, don't wash my feet. And he goes, if I don't wash your feet, I, I can't, you can't be a part of anything here. And Peter says, then wash all of me. Cleanse me. God, wash my iniquity entirely. Cleanse me from my sin. God, forgive me. First we own up, we seek forgiveness. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know what I did. It's not your fault, God. It's me and it haunts me all the time. That's what David's saying here. I know what I did and it's haunting me. It's forever just right here. Have you been there? I know I have. Against you, here, here's this part, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And I want to see this verse because again, this is where we fall short. David not only owned up to his sin, but whatever the consequence, whatever God said, he found no fault in. God, I know I did wrong, but seriously, you're going to be that harsh with me? God, I know I messed up, but really this consequence seems a little outrageous, God. And David says, no, I am at fault and what you say, you're blameless in. Your judgment, whatever comes, I find no fault in. Are we there? Like, can you say that to God? I know I can't. <laughs> I find it hard to accept God's consequences sometimes. Behold, I was brought forth iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. I was born into sin. Jesus was not. That's why he can be our Savior. There was a miracle birth of the Spirit and Mary. 
That's why he, can, he wasn't born of flesh. He was born of the Spirit. And so he gets to be our Savior because of that. He had no sin. We are born into it. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Again, turning inward and seeking God's repentance is not fun. Doing inventory of your life is not fun. It's painful. The idea is that you've seen a doctor that has to re-break a leg in order to let it heal again. The idea here is that God's broken these bones, but I want them to rejoice in what God has done. So not only does he admit and, and own up to, not only does he seek forgiveness, but it's like he, he wants to accept the consequences and purge and turn from, from what he's done before. God, no longer am I going to do anything like that. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Again, don't look at these any longer. And then he asks, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. We want that clean heart. We want that spirit to be restored to what we once were, but very seldom do we like to admit that we're wrong. But we can't get to this step until we've done the previous ones. You can't, God cannot create a new heart in you until you own up to what, we, what we've done. And he says, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, don't leave me. He's seen this in Saul. The spirit was removed from Saul and he saw it and he says, don't do what you did to King Saul. Keep me in your presence. I want to stay with you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Realize we do nothing in our salvation. We don't do any works. It's all God. And he says, restore that joy of your salvation and uphold a willing spirit within me. Give me the strength to overcome. Create and restore. Bring me back into right relationship with you, God. And then what does he say? He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And the idea here is that he's experienced the joy and love of Christ again, the love of God that he can't help but tell others. He can't help but just say, look at what God did for me again. And a lot of times we want to be used by God, but we won't, don't want to do all the other steps. A lot of times we want to find purpose in God, but we don't want to be restored. We don't want to, we don't want to be recreated new. And he says, then after all of this, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. And the idea here is that all of these works that we do means nothing because it's like filthy rags. So what does God truly, truly accept? The sacrifices are God, a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A contrite heart is owning up, realizing that you're the one that's done wrong. So last and least to get back restored with God is to be still. Don't try to work your way. Be still and know that he's God and know who you are. So what do we, what's application can we use on this? The only way you're connecting with God is through prayer and reading your Bible. We don't have a prophet. We don't need a prophet. 
Because God's given us everything in his word. The way you connect with God is to know him more through this. And so what are some things you can do? As you're reading, I pray that you realize we need to connect with God more. As you're reading, ask questions. What, what does this teach me about God? Because it hasn't changed. God has not changed. So what does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about me? What does it teach me about my world? And what do I need to change through it? The four easy questions you can ask as you're reading. Jot them down. So that you can remember everything that God's done and have that awe moment with God again. You can have that, oh, I've remembered. I see now. I'm back in connection with God and I don't want to leave it. So I pray that in 2017, you're connected to God like no other, that you are not disconnected or marginally connected, but you're connected and fulfilling a purpose. Let's pray. Father, I do, I thank you for your continual forgiveness, Father, that we have, that, we, that we're the problem, that we are the ones that, that look towards you, want, want your salvation, want your love, want your forgiveness, and, and yet we're lured and enticed away by things of this world. God, I pray that you, that you do break our spirit and help us to realize that you find no, nothing good in the prideful. That you give us a spirit of humility, of, of servanthood, of, of just this fact that we are not like you. But you ask us to be holy as you are holy. And God, I pray, pray, pray that you teach us how to do that. God, forgive us where we've done wrong. Forgive me where I've done wrong. Forgive me where I've been lazy, slothful. Forgive me where I've isolated myself. God, help me just to connect with you more this year. In Jesus' name I pray.